Ali Vargas, Bolivian journalist, now working with Radio Casauchun Coca. Welcome to Red Lines. You're doing some of the most important work, staying on the case in Bolivia when much of the media has moved on. So it's a big honor for me to host you. No, it's an honor to be on your show. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Grey Zone and the Red Lines as well. Well, we're all following your work very closely. Can you just start by explaining where in Bolivia you are right now and how last year's military takeover has impacted the country's ability to respond to coronavirus thus far? Well, at the moment, I'm in a town called Laucaena, which is in the Chapare region of Bolivia. It's a tropical region, sort of in the middle of the country. And this is where um, Evo Morales used to be a union leader of the local campesina unions and you know, the rural workers here. Um, we produce coca and other fruits. And so this is sort of the heart of um, sort of the base of the mass. And well, the coup has severely impacted uh, the government's ability to respond to the coronavirus in, in two ways, mainly. First, in, in a political way. It's taken away a kind of political will to, um, to tackle this in a kind of integrated manner. So what we saw at the, for the first, first three weeks of the quarantine, more or less, was the government sort of declaring a total lockdown, but without providing any sort of income support to the people who've lost their income. And of course, in Bolivia, like in most places in Latin America, uh, most people live sort of in the informal economy, selling things day by day, uh, small traders, that sort of work. So the government simply left them abandoned and they criminalized anyone who uh, sort of broke the quarantine. Many of them were going out to sort of look for food, trying to sell something to, you know, pay their rent, something which uh, hadn't been suspended. So people were left without any kind of social support. And that's something that's been denounced by Evo Morales. So we can assume that, you know, with a different, in a different political situation, people wouldn't have been abandoned in the way that they have been. Also, um, we have to remember that before the coup, so January last year, Bolivia under Evo Morales actually created uh, a universal healthcare system called the SUS, the um, Single System of Health, is the English translation. But that hasn't really been able to be implemented because from January, January last year, from that point onwards, um, the doctors' associations, a historically sort of corrupt um, organization of people linked to the right, uh, to the right-wing political parties, basically went on strike for almost all of that year, almost all of 2019, to try and stop the implementation of uh, universal healthcare because all of the doctors have um, you know have some small involvement in the private uh, sort of health business? They have mm -hmm. private clinics, things like this. So they sabotage um, the implementation of a free universal healthcare system. So Bolivia could have gone into that with a public health system, but however, we're now going into it with no kind of uh, public health system. Um, and now we have a minister, health minister, who owns one of the most elite private clinics in La Paz, in the wealthy sort of south of the city. So that's, those are the sorts of people that are coordinating the response to the public health crisis, people who 
personally profit from sort of health inequality and the fact that many people have don't have uh, proper access to healthcare. And alongside that, obviously, we have the expulsion of the Cuban doctors. There used to be over 700 Cuban doctors working in Bolivia, um, providing all kinds of, sort of specialist treatment. Uh, they used to actually work out of the building I'm in right now, which is sort of the HQ of the six federations, which is the Campesino unions. They used to have a clinic uh, here providing sort of top quality treatment that most Bolivian doctors actually uh, can't provide, and certainly wouldn't provide for free. And so that's all gone. And uh, that affects the poorest people in the cities, that affects the rural areas. Because uh, for many of those communities, the Cuban doctors were the only people that were providing healthcare for them. So now And that's been a common thread throughout Latin America. Sorry? That's been a common issue throughout Latin America in Brazil as well. These doctors, Cuban doctors were expelled and now you see the government actually begging them to come back. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. And in fact, when the Cuban doctors were first expelled from Brazil, that was while Evo Morales was still in power and while the Cuban doctors were still here. So a lot of people in the kind of Amazonian communities in Brazil that are near the Bolivian border were actually sort of um, coming in in sort of irregular ways, sort of smuggling themselves into Bolivia so that they could get uh, treatment by the Cuban doctors that were still in Bolivia. Because you start the, there's a large number of them were in the sort of rural, remote Amazonian communities that are near the Brazilian border. So we had a sort of health refugees coming. Um, but now uh, Bolivians are, going, are suffering the same fate, unfortunately. You recently tweeted, quote, the Bolivian regime continues publishing fake news that accuses MAS, that's Movimiento al Socialismo, Abel Morales' party, of breaking the quarantine. In reality, it's in pro-regime strongholds such as Santa Cruz and Zona Sur of La Paz, where there are more cases or the most cases of COVID-19. Can you elaborate on what's going on here and why COVID is hitting those wealthier pro-coup areas so hard? Well, we're seeing quite an interesting uh, phenomenon in the, the areas where there's the most number, where the outbreak of coronavirus has been worse, has been in uh, the more wealthy areas of the country. So that includes the Zona Sur of La Paz, I mentioned before, is that, that's the south of the city of La Paz and also the city of Santa Cruz which, you know, I'm personally very worried could become the new Guayaquil of Bolivia. Guayaquil is, of course, the city in Ecuador that is uh, collapsed at the moment. Where dead bodies are left in their homes and people have to wait weeks for an appointment with medical doctors. Yeah, it's an awful situation there. And actually, they, um, Guayaquil and the city of Santa Cruz have a lot of similarities. So first of all, there's cities of where there's the most inequality, where there's the largest concentrations of wealth, also the largest concentrations of poverty, and where you have authorities or local authorities that you know for a long time have been uh, very right wing, and have you know for a long, long time, for many, many years, have completely neglected any kind of questions of public policy, public health, um, and who are themselves linked to all kinds of sort of private interests. So. In Bolivia now, you have the majority of the cases. Well, uh, around 50% of the cases 
um, concentrated just in the city of Santa Cruz. So quite similar situation to Ecuador. And the concern is that it will explode there in the same way it has in, in Guayaquil. And actually Santa Cruz went into this with already having uh, an outbreak of dengue. And the local authorities had failed to fumigate their local areas. Because again, these local authorities do not care about kind of any kind of, sort of collective social policy. And those authorities are actually uh, very involved in the coup in during sort of October, from September, October, November. They were using the resort, public resources of their sort of governorships, of the mayor's offices in Santa Cruz to, to contribute to the, to the violent anti-Evo protests that led to the coup. So that's what they were concerned about all this time. And now they've got a huge pandemic on their hands and they haven't got the capacity to deal with it. It's very sad. Santa Cruz is the center of the Bolivian right wing in some ways. It's where Luis Fernando Camacho, one of the leaders of the coup last year, is from, where there's this base of business leaders and a lot of wealth concentrated in that area. But Ali, many of us were already skeptical as to whether or not the military dictatorship, which took power last year, would hold elections this spring, even before coronavirus broke out. Now they've been postponed for the foreseeable future. Who controls the country right now and how has the virus impacted the political situation? Yeah, it's a um, very predictable situation. We, the moment that the mass started getting sort of double-digit leads in the polls, um, I mean, the most recent poll has the mass about uh, more or less 40%, which is all that's required to win in the first round. Um, you know, as I said, double digits ahead of any of the right-wing candidates. As soon as that started happening, we knew that the, the regime weren't going to allow this. They weren't going to, you know, if they couldn't win at the ballot box, we simply would never go to the ballot box. And of course, coronavirus provides a perfect excuse for that. And now they've, they don't want to put a date for when, at least not even a provisional date. So we're now with an unelected government and no one knows when um, we'll have a chance to vote on, on their future. So it's a very difficult situation. And the, the interior minister in particular, Arturo Murillo, he is sort of the most uh, radical element of the administration the sort of the most aggressively sort of fascist part of the administration. He's, he's having a great time right now. He's, um, he comes out every day on public TV, to, on the state media channels, to sort of threaten the population saying, you know, I'm gonna, if I see you outside, if I see you walking about outside, you, you're gonna go straight to jail. You know, we have the capacity to get all of you. Um, this is the sort of rhetoric that he comes out with every single day in the media. So he's having a great time, um, and this certainly provides an excuse to, to ramp up uh, sort of the security state and repression. But at the same time, this isn't an ideal situation for them because, you know, closing an economy indefinitely is catastrophic. You know, is you can't do that forever before there's just a total collapse, and they don't want to have that on their hands either. Even their own allies in, you know, the, sort of elements of big business and now getting seriously concerned about the fact that they haven't been earning anything for almost a month now. And, you know, they're, they're demanding government assistance as well. So the regime are going to have to be able to, to manage this at some point. They cut, you know, they, 
They don't want to be the government that delivers the country into its worst economic crisis, you know, for the past couple of decades. And in terms of who's calling the shots, is it Hanin Añez? Is it some shadowy military officials? Do we have any idea of who's actually managing things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's is a man named Eric Ferranda. And this man, Eric Ferranda, he is the personal secretary to the president, Hernina Agnes. And who is this guy? Well, he worked for 25 years as the chief advisor to the US embassy in Bolivia. He was then seconded from that role into to being sort of Agnes's closest advisor. And from that role, he's, he's the one that sort of um, managed the internal issues within the cabinet. He um, is widely known that he, for example, ordered the head of the state media channel, Bolivia TV, to be fired because he thought that the, the director that was first appointed by the government wasn't, you know, wasn't pro-government enough. He wasn't putting out enough sort of uh, favorable news for the state. So he ordered the change. Is while you know a lot of people saying that he was the one who ordered the firing of the previous health minister and the installing uh, of the current one, the, the current health minister who's who owns one of the most elite private clinics in the country. And in fact, he um, when John Lee Anderson came to Bolivia to write an article, he actually met Eric, this guy Eric Ferranda, and Eric Ferranda introduced himself, you know, with a wry smile saying. Hello, I'm Eric Fronda and I'm a CIA agent. Because that's the reputation he has now in the country is, um, is essentially as the sort of the puppet master. Um, so there's him. And then second in command is certainly uh, the figure I mentioned previously, Arturo Murillo, who is sort of in charge of repression. And that's the interior minister. Yeah, yeah, that's the interior minister. The one who's having a great time now coming out on TV every day, sort of threatening uh, that he's going to put everyone in jail. And how is MAS, Movimiento al Socialismo, Ebo's party, which is comprised of unions and indigenous people, responding to this health crisis? Well, the governments, um, they say, they're like, oh, the MAS, they're encouraging people to break the quarantine, so they're not respecting the quarantine themselves but in reality is absolutely the opposite so the area i'm in right now the chapada region as i said is the sort of strongest base of support for the mass and it was the the five municipalities that form this area actually declared uh, a partial quarantine before the government announced any measures at all um, they demanded well they themselves restrict, restricted travel into the area before the government had taken any action um, the quarantine here is observed it absolutely, the Arturo Maria came out and threatened, saying, oh, in the Chapada region, they're not respecting. So we went out here at the Radio Calcetra in Coca. We went out to, to the streets in all the different towns in this region to film, to show that the streets are empty, to, to, you know, to bust the fake news coming out of the regime. So there's, and, and I should add, actually, that, that the only reason that there's such a strict sort of um, respect for the quarantine here in the Chapada region is because the union leaders were demanding it. And I remind um, anyone watching this, that in this region, there is no police presence. The police fled at the time of the coup because they're worried they, they're worried they wouldn't be able to contain the, um, the resistance to the coup. I wrote about this in an article for Grey Zone, in fact. And 
So the people implementing the quarantine here have been the unions themselves. So that shows the kind of level of, sort of union discipline that exists in Bolivia. And it shows their commitment to public health and to um, respecting this quarantine. And they've gone beyond the quarantine, in fact. So the union leader of this region, Andronica Rodriguez, has implemented a number of measures, which in, um, includes controls at each entrances, well, from all entrances into this region, where sort of, they'll only allow sort of food trucks to go through and not sort of other kinds of commercial trucks, so that you know to avoid the number of people coming into, to reduce the number of people coming into the region. So there's um, they're they're facing this in a very responsible manner. However, the regime will say all the opposite um, without any kind of evidence. And I've seen on your Twitter account video of mass distribution of food, different supplies people need. Finally, Ollie, I'm just one. Go ahead, continue. No, I said um, that's very important. That continuing today, in fact, one one of the unions in this area went out today. Um, delivering 16 trucks worth of food, which they distribute free to working class communities in the cities. Because in the cities, you know, people don't have, they can't grow uh, food necessarily, and they've been abandoned by the state. So what they're doing is going out and distributing free food. And, and for this, obviously, again, the government has attacked them. Um, they say that, you know, this is a political act, etc. Well, you know, if the government doesn't want to help people, they should let those who do want to help. And this is a huge operation being um, coordinated by the unions, in particular by Andronica Rodriguez, to, um, to ask the local sort of uh, rural workers, producers here, to donate some of the produce so that it can be sent to working class people in the cities. Finally, Ali, what is Moss's political strategy at this point now that any hope of democracy has gone out the door if it hadn't already last year. How are people in Bolivia struggling for the restoration of democracy? Well, obviously, the strength of the mass was in its capacity to mobilize the majority of the country, in its capacity to mobilize um, tens of thousands of people within, you know, at the snap of the fingers. And, you know, now we're in lockdown, that becomes much more difficult. However, um, you know, union leaders want, you know, uh, are very concerned and they want to make sure that the union organization remains sort of intact. And with that, they want to ensure um, they're organizing, as we talked about earlier, the, the food shipments of donations to the working class communities. In the cities, mass leaders are organizing what they call ollas comunes, which is sort of a collective kitchens where they cook meals and sort of hand them out to the poorest people in their, in their neighborhoods, in the working class neighborhoods of the big cities. So they see their role at the moment as providing support to, to their people, which is the majority of the population, the majority of the population that's being left without an income during the quarantine. And they see that as a priority, as, as distributing food, distributing support for people who've been abandoned. And of course, the guard hasn't been hasn't been lowered in in any way. People are very aware of what's going on, and the the capacity to mobilise once this lockdown is over is very much intact. So if you know if the government don't hold elections after this quarantine, the mass has enormous potential to to mobilise hundreds of thousands, millions of people onto the streets of Bolivia.
it must be inspiring to see how in the face of this assault on their sovereignty and now a virus which has ravaged the world, organizations and people are still able to focus on providing for the needs of their people in Bolivia. So Ali, I really appreciate you coming on Red Lines to share all of that. And again, I'm so grateful for your work. I encourage everyone to follow Ali at, what is it? O Vargas. Uh, you know, Twitter and O Vargas 52, yeah. Yes, it's a great account, original reporting, and in Spanish and English for those of us who who want to have access to both kinds of reports. So again, Ali, thank you so much. No, thank you so much, Anya, for continuing to, to show the world what's going on here.